Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm your hostess, Lori Adams-Brown, and this is a special episode for Indigenous Peoples Day. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free. Number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time. And I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Indigenous Peoples Day is a holiday that may be new to some of you. Around the world, it's celebrated in different ways. Some places refer to it as First Peoples Day, National Indigenous Peoples Day, Native American Day in some states in the U.S. Um, And uh, originally, some places, especially in the United States, called it Columbus Day. In about 1989, I think it was, in South Dakota, they backed a resolution there to celebrate Native American Day on the second Monday of October, and it just marked the beginning of a year of reconciliation for a lot of what the Native Americans experienced as the result of Christopher Columbus and the different colonizers that came to the shores of North America and South America. And it was in, I guess, around 1992 in Berkeley, California, that coincided with the 500th anniversary of the arrival of Christopher Columbus in the Americas. And then also two years later in Santa Cruz, California, where they instituted a holiday and um, changed it to commemorate the indigenous peoples of the area and to sort of start a change in the narrative um, so that the violent actions that sort of resulted in enslaving many Native Americans and also, you know, sort of the cover-up or whitewashing and um, changing the narrative to make it look a little kinder and softer um, in light of just allowing the violent history of the colonization in the Western Hemisphere to be also a part of the story that we tell. Instead of highlighting someone as a hero, um, Christopher Columbus, who Columbus, who was an Italian explorer, has been celebrated for many years and on the second Monday in October. And it, it's just a chance to kind of bring more to light of the history instead of glossing over some of the difficult parts of him and to not celebrate as a hero someone whose actions led to such a violent history that was resulted in much trauma that still exists today among indigenous peoples and particularly Native Americans in North America. So today's podcast is in honor of the indigenous peoples that we celebrate and want to learn from and want to listen to. So as we lean in today, I just ask that you open your heart, your mind, your eyes, your ears, your soul to receive a message that may be different and even counter to the message and history that you learned growing up. And it's important that we hear from all the voices. I'm especially committed to listening to indigenous people's voices around the world, mainly because I've learned so much from them. And 
I've gained knowledge and insight into what it means to be human and what it means to be part of family and society and even just spiritually appreciating some things even in the Bible um, in different ways by hearing indigenous theologians um, express their lens on reading scripture. But even outside of that, just um, I think it's so important to hear the story of any traumatized people because it's in listening that we can be a part of helping heal. My guest today is just a so such a special guest. I am super excited for this interview. It's just going to really be super insightful just to listen and hear. But uh, by way of introduction, we are going to get to listen to Ricardo, which is his government name. But his tribal name is Tisitqualt. I, I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I'm so sorry if I'm not. <laughs> um, I really I care deeply about pronouncing people's names right. And some languages that are ones that I don't speak, I just don't always do it so well. But we want to honor you with the name that you were um, born with and given as well. And uh, also he comes from just a, a beautiful heritage, um, both on his paternal side and on his maternal side. So on his father's side, he is Sapa, Sapotec Yaki. And then uh, on his mother's side, the tribal name is Raramuri, but the settlers gave that tribe the name Tarahumara. So some of you may be more familiar with the Tarahumara. And um, so that's his just very rich and beautiful heritage on both sides. And so, like I said, he's a descendant of both of those tribes. And that's just given him uh, a working knowledge of all kinds of things, including local herbs for the holistic approach to healing. And he just really enjoys blending indigenous healing methods and Western medicine so that the best of both worlds can be experienced. Um, I just, I love that because I know from even living in Singapore, it was just very common when you went to the doctor that they would mix TCM, which is, you know, traditional Chinese medicine along with Western medicine. And then, you know, we had little shops that we had certain um, traditional Chinese medicine, like um, medicines that we used in our family, like for tummy aches or headaches or um, muscle aches. And so those were outside of the hospital typically, but the blending of those two has definitely benefited my family. So it's super exciting to hear. And, and also I spent um, some time learning community development practices in Southern Philippines and Mindanao. And we learned a lot about using local herbs and um, how people would just have these gardens of herbs to provide local and traditional medicines and just there's a lot lot of things to explore there so I don't know if we'll get into a whole lot of that today but that's kind of his his field it's where he's working in and but we're mostly going to camp out today and just the rich heritage he has received on both sides and sort of the story that he has to tell that's been passed on to him from his elders and just the healing he's working through uh, as he is just going to be giving us such a gift today and being very vulnerable with us about some of the things that have gone on in North America that are not easy to talk about, but that's what this day is all about, Indigenous Peoples Day, a chance to listen, learn from history, 
and definitely not repeat it. But it's in learning and listening and hearing the hard things that we can know what it is we don't want to repeat. And so hopefully today you will learn something, you'll take away some small nugget from his story that will compel you to be a better and more loving listener and to really listen deeply. So welcome to the show, uh, my friend, Ricardo. Hi, Ricardo. Hello, Miss Lori. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Well, I'm super excited for our topic today. It's um, Indigenous Peoples Day, which not everybody refers to it that way. Some people call it Columbus Day. But I know in New Mexico, mm. um, they have um, made a decision to name it that. And I love it. I think it's awesome. So um, I'd love for just with this topic for you to tell us a little bit about who you are and like what your ancestry is, where you come from. Uh, thank you, Ms. Lori, for having me here today. Uh, my government name is Ricardo Antonio. And, uh, my tribal name is Titsikwat. Um, on my father's side, we are Zapotec Yaqui uh, tribes here from uh, Zapotec and also North, Southern Arizona. On the paternal side, on the maternal side, uh, my people are of Tarumara, Corte. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You have such a rich ancestry and so much um, to be proud of, so much um, heritage there, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. So I would love for you to tell me what you feel like is special about your people on both sides of your family um, and just the culture that you've been um, born into. Ah, on my mother's side, they're most known for being long-distance runners. Um, you get these big marathons, like the New York City Marathon and other wow. races around the world. Yeah, it's always we're always right behind the Kenyan. Uh, so, oh, wow. <laughs> <there's> <laughs> a a, definitely, yes, yes, yes. So then they run in a traditional um, garb, uh, taparrabo and um, sandals that are made at home and and they're just known to warm up about 60K. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Mm, yes, just, of course, I didn't get any of that on my side. I'm still working with the half marathon, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about your father's side? On the father's side, the Sapotec Yaki, uh, the Sapotec were guardians of, um, you know, indigenous medicine knowledge, uh, you know, how to use the earth to heal ourselves. And on the Yaqui side as well, the Yaqui is a very interesting subject. Um, there's northern and southern right along the Arizona border. Okay. And um, the, the walls that we have created amongst us as humans, um, instead of building a longer table, we build walls, right? And mm. so that wall goes right through our reservation. So literally mm. splitting it from Yaqui South or the Mexican side and then the Yaqui North. And so that's made it really interesting to, you know, for families to um, even visit each other and things of that nature. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure it has. Well, um, I would love to know more about, you know, your family and you personally in terms of when um Indigenous Peoples Day became a thing. Like, what did that mean to you? And what did it mean to people in your family and others that you talked to? Ah, good question. You know, Indigenous Day, um, I believe, is an awakening of, of 
of the people, you know, um, to indigenous contributions, um, replacing a, just a very horrific, um, you know, Columbus was, first of all, never made it to the mainland. Mm. And then in the name of God and country would proceed to exterminate the locals um, in a very gruesome manner, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Indigenous Day, and, and, and again, it's one of those awakening things, I believe, where I don't know if we should tear down the monuments and melt them uh, or mm -hmm. build a park to where we can visit these monuments and say, wow, well, this was uh, Pol Pak or this was a, the, the Adolf Hitler of the American continent. Yeah. Um, so Indigenous Day is, is a great awakening of the people and it's a glimpse of some dignity for what the Indigenous community has suffered um, throughout the history of colonization of the Americas, you know. Um, so yeah. it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Venezuela. Obviously, you know that because you're friends with my brother. But <laughs> um, mm -hmm. we, you know, we they did talk about Cristobal Colón. And, and he, I... the conversations, I grew up with him uh, thinking differently about him than I think than some of the North Americans did because I think we had more open conversations about indigenous mm -hmm. peoples in South America and in Venezuela in particular, probably. Um, but yeah, I think some people are just now starting to awaken about, about some of those things. And so, yeah, I'd love for you to sort of, you know, dig more into that whole idea of like your people. And I mean, we, we are in the middle of an immigration series on my podcast, which I mean, mm -hmm. I've, I pretty much always say, unless you're a full-blooded Native American in this country, you have immigration in your history at some point. <laughs> so, Correct. Right? And so really it's, you know, people like you who really should speak into the conversation about immigration and everything. And I guess some of the original immigration did come with Christopher Columbus and it, and it wasn't, it wasn't super pretty, obviously that whole initial phase of, of all of it. And so, you know, as a, as a person of faith, I, I read about that history and I lament, I lament all the things that mm. happened there. And I think it is important for us to pause and recognize that history is complicated and it's, um, we can honor people for the good parts, but we, we don't want to gloss over the, the hard parts. And I, mm. I just, um, yeah, it, it's a very shameful part of the U S history, how things have been sort of whitewashed in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I'd love for you to speak to that, how that has been perceived by your people. And I do appreciate how gracious you are about, about this conversation, because I know that it could be very painful to even talk about um, how your people over time have been treated not well in a lot of circumstances. But I'd love for you to sort of speak to that um, on behalf of your ancestry and the people that you know, how you perceive that whole initial phase of immigration here in the United States. Yes, thank you. Um... Thank you. That's a interesting question with many layers, you know. Um, the the wounds of of uh, an estimated conservatively about uh, 120 million casualties at the hand of the colonization of Americas um, can wow. can bring extreme numbers. Right. This is the greatest Holocaust on God's green earth. Unfortunately. Um, the uh, Jewish people suffered about four and a half to six million. The numbers are a little different there, but so you, you can mm -hmm. imagine the great pain that this can carry as well. Um, yeah. But from what I am taught from my elders is is love and faith, and you know, um, yeah. 
healing and moving forward and and uh, contributing something to the conversation that will help us acknowledge what happened so that we are not prone to repeat the the same atrocity in history you know and yeah kind of what we're seeing now with you know um instead of building longer tables here we are building you know taller walls um yeah so just to acknowledge that part of history and maybe learn from our natural people from across the the, the world are you know is pretty um, are similar when it comes to that we as a living planet that we live on that we treat as a resource right and and do yeah. these things to the planet and in turn we do it to ourselves mm. so that's so true we are entering that's a time so of awakening you know to where we have access to information if you are willing to see you know mm-hmm. if we are willing to acknowledge that um, recent these atrocities are still happening to the indigenous communities, the Navajo and the Great Four Corner areas, uh, um, you know, uh, brothers up in uh, North and South Dakota with the, with the pipelines where they're coming and tearing down sacred sites and, you know, burial mm-hmm. sites. I mean, this is going on in 2020 still. Um, down yeah. along the Arizona border, they're bulldozing through very sacred sites and mountains and cutting off natural resources like water. Um, so mm. these atrocities are, for me personally, are, are an obstacle and a work in my healing to not to be bitter and not to be hateful and, 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 and contribute yeah. healing uh, for us as a people. But, you know, when this is still happening today, October of 2020, you know, it's still happening somewhere across America. Um, it's rather yeah. unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's more than unfortunate. It's, it's shameful. It's something that... Um, along with other things um, we've been talking about in my immigration series, you know, people who are privileged or people who have power, people who have agency and have a voice have choices. And the choices are to either look beyond themselves and look Mm. um, to those who are at the margins, look to those who may not have power agency um, and look outside themselves. And that's a choice. Um, or they can choose to stay internal and look the other way when there are hard things happening. Mm. And so I think important, it's important for us to give people the opportunity to listen to a story. And so I'd love to know more about, um, like, when your people tell the oral history um, on either side of your family, when they tell the oral history of what happened with immigration, um, how does kind of that story go? And how do people describe it when when you're when you were taught maybe as a child and maybe how children are taught today um what is the way that they tell that story Mm, interesting you know um me personally my uh culture was we lost a lot a lot of our tradition and a lot of our um uh ceremonial stuff uh Way through the colonization of the mm-hmm. Spanish in Mexico, Don Juan de Oñate, Cortes. Yeah. And so there was a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, since they couldn't conquer the people as a people, they conquered us through um, the mind and the spirit by bringing on different things. Um, and now yeah. it's gotten to the point where it's almost accepted. Um, I am personally uh, the first to come back to the fire as far as indigenous um, tradition and stuff like that, because it was lost for so many years. Um, wow. But again, it's, it's a place of uh, knowledge. We have knowledge 
to our research. We can talk to the viejos, the elders, the abuelos, and and see what they told. Um, and on my side of the family, it was not very pleasant. They were still along the border here of Chihuahua and El Paso, Texas, and along this uh, frontera borderlands. Um, it was always a um, you know, a shameful thing. You couldn't speak your language. You'd cut your hair. You would assimilate as best as you could, singled out as an indigenous man or as a Mexican or a Mexica. Um, mm. So with that colonization of those four or 500 years, um, it was mostly an assimilation of the people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's hard. It's, a, it's hard to, I just, I feel that as you talk about it. And um, as someone who has not walked in your shoes, I think it's important for me to listen and understand. And the more you share, the more I do understand. And I'm sure that happens with a lot of people when you share the story of your own journey and the journey of um, your ancestors and your elders. Mm. I know that it can be very difficult at times. And there's a lot of stereotypes, even in 2020, about mm. different Native Americans and uh, maybe your your people in particular. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. What are some of the stereotypes that you face um, and that you would in particular like to clear up? Wow. Um, well, we're, uh, it's believed that we were extinct. So we're here, guys. <laughs> so what do you mean? I thought You're you like, we're still here. We're extinct. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm the son of the surviving seed, yes. Um, there's, there's a lot of it. That's such a broad question. Thank you. I, I, um, I'm reminded of, for example, here in Southern New Mexico, there's state parks and you still visit these places that on national monuments, it tells a story of those savage Apaches that roamed the land, you know? And, and so yeah. when in reality, it was, uh, the natural people being invaded upon, um, and they were defending themselves. So one of those stereotypes of yeah. the brave or the red skin or us natives um, mm. is that, you know, we created or invented scalping. And that was a French thing, you know. It was one of those ways of uh, being able to make kills you had in the field uh, type of thing. So, yeah, no, wow. most of the native people around the world um, have probably this in common is that it's about love. It's about cuidando al prójimo, to take care of one another, um, that we are brothers and sisters, yeah. that we're all equal on this planet, and we walk with that great responsibility, you know? Um, mm. So, yes, no, we're not ruthless savages, and it really now I've gotten to a place <laughs> where I can laugh about it when I read it on a sign. 2020, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's painful. That's really painful. And you talked earlier about um, just in your appearance, not wanting to appear at certain points in your life as if you might be a Native American with maybe your hair or the way you dress or whatever. What are some of the stereotypes that you think would have been involved with that? <laughs> well, there was many times uh, where I would conduct business over the phone and being brought up in this, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you try to not stand out as much and so there's been instances where you know you'll do business over the phone and then when finally meeting these people in person they're like oh wait, um, <clears throat> wait a minute you know and so that's from mm. renting apartments to I mean going to the bank and charging you know cashing a large check or whatever the case to be 
um, hitting the yeah. hitting the checkpoints on the way in from Las Cruces to TRC. There's uh, um, patrol checkpoints every hundred miles from the border. Yeah, and then just getting grilled every mm -hmm. time you drive past one of those. It's it's a very it's not even a common occurrence. It's it's for sure that you're going to get stopped. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things that we've learned to live with and not be bitter and heal from. There is a difference. Um, when it comes to the color of your skin, there is a certain amount of privilege that comes with that. And, you know, and, and yeah. what you do with that privilege. So thank you for this platform mm -hmm. um, and this way to be able to share some of our experiences as, as natives here in this area. Oh, of course. It's my great honor. And I, I have so much to learn and you're already teaching me so many things. And I think that one of the things that you're teaching me as I listen is just how, um, how we can have grace and strength, but it's so much hard work. And I just, I just want to honor you by saying you have clearly done an incredible amount of work on yourself to be able to work at not being bitter or angry. Cause I think any of those things you mentioned would have been enough to, for any of us to feel angry about. I mean, I've been through those checkpoints you're talking about um, within the state of New Mexico. So for those of you who are listening, um, this isn't, he's not referring to the border of the U.S. and Mexico, which is um, separates Juarez and El Paso, but within the state of New Mexico, there are even other checkpoints. Um, like you said, as we were driving to Truth or Consequences, which is a town in New Mexico, and you face multiple checkpoints that are um, like border checkpoints of another country within the United States. And it is clear, and it's always been clear to me that if I'm in a car with just white people, we tend to not get interrogated. But if we've ever had anybody that looked um, probably like how you look, Ricardo, or um, somebody who might look, you know, Mexican maybe or, or whatever, that you do get a lot more interrogated. So it's certainly true that there is a privilege. There definitely is. It's very obvious. Um, so... I think that as you talk about your people and your heritage, I'm really struck by the fact that um, there's probably a lot of trauma that has gone on in, in your, your people and both sides of your family. How would you say that um, you have learned to deal with some of that like um, generational trauma that's been passed on to you? Because I know that even as there have been studies done on for example, African-Americans, there's a lot of even genetic things that they've found that have passed on just from generations of trauma after slavery. Um, but, but in addition to that, the oral history being passed on of slavery to children can be quite traumatic. Um, and so as you have processed as a person the trauma of your people from generations ago and just personally, um, how have you worked through some of that trauma? Ooh, through lots of prayer. <laughs> yeah. God, is, God is good God is good God is good I um you know we talk a lot about and that's a great question Lori we we emphasize on a lot about uh transgenerational traumas uh that lead to all sorts of fun stuff um addiction mm -hmm. you name it um yeah. but uh most recently the privilege of sitting with elders and, and learning that mm. instead of emphasizing on the trauma, we emphasize on the transgenerational healing um, of those traumas mm. so that we can break those cycles and not, you know, I have a 17-year-old daughter that I love to death and, and me not dealing mm -hmm. with these traumas that were passed down inevitably will end at the table of my daughter. 
uh, you know, our sons mm. and our grandchildren. And so um, it's not easy. It's uh, we are working with energy that is old as our people are on this continent, you know, many, 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 many generations of trauma, but as well, yeah. many, many generations of love because we are the result of love. Mm. And uh, so yeah. we, we like to look at it that way where we can heal from it and, and, and try to insulate our loved ones from uh, having to deal with that down the road. Yeah, that's so good. I think that I also relate to that because I'm motivated to work on all my mm. stuff because we oh, all yeah. have stuff, right? Um, stuff we inherit and stuff we do just to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm always motivated most as a mom in those ways when I think of the generations to come. And um, and I just appreciate how the elders in your community have um, encouraged you mm. in that way. And I, um, maybe one of the good stereotypes that we have about Native Americans in this country is um, just the idea that you do have an oral history that you pass on, that you're, you come from, um, a culture that does value the generations. And I think that's important and it's something we can learn from. It's something you contribute to our society as a people and, and it's beautiful and it, it is love and it's something we should all recognize in 2020 and, and every other year is that we're not just individuals. We really are parts of families. We're parts of tribes, whether we call them that or not. Yes. And we're parts of um, generations of people who have paved the way for us, good or bad, you know. So as you talk, it just it's a reminder to me to um, to think more in those ways. And I think that is a beautiful part of your heritage that has been poured into you. And I love it. It's so good. It's, we need more mm. of that. <laughs> but as, as we talk about that, what are some other things or maybe the, the biggest thing that you're most proud of from your own heritage? Well. Wow. You know, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity of uh, learning from my elders. Um, there was many, many struggles that have um, occurred since the colonization. You know, for example, there was uh, certain ceremonies and prayers that were still illegal till the 70s and 80s that you could literally go to jail yeah. for uh, praying a certain kind of way. Mm. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for all of that. I, I'm very I'm honored to be able to have these elders that can pass down this wisdom, you know, these natural way of healing, you know, the plants, the holistic approach of uh, yeah. of one another. You know, we talk about the colonization and we talk about uh, two key factors. The one is a separation of man and God. That's a, one of the deep parts mm -hmm. of colonization. The second part of that is a separation from man from man. So we... Mm -hmm don't understand that me and you and me and that tree and me in the mountains and me, we are all together in this. We are all keepers of each yeah. other. And as I do to you, mm -hmm. I do to myself. So mm. very, very proud of, of that yeah. and with, with them and learn, you know, it's a learning process. Um, mm -hmm. It's a learning process. It's a faith and surrender, lots of love. Mm. That's so beautiful. And it reminds me of, um, you know, because I, um, I'm a person of faith who follows the Judeo-Christian scriptures, you know, so Genesis is a really beautiful book to me. And I know that um, people have around the world different stories of um, creation and how that came about and 
and all of that. But one of the things that I really um, take very seriously and, and want to take even more seriously and grow into this is just the whole, um, there was, from my understanding of how things went in the creation, was that there was a moment where the creator God um, created a man and he created a woman and um, he gave them, uh, he put them in charge of the earth to take care mm-hmm. of it. And it was a, it was a command to take care of the earth. Mm. And we've not done a great job. We've done a pretty bad job. in yeah. fact. Um, and we could, we need to do a better job. And I think things are catching up with us a bit in 2020 and some of the, the ways we've mistreated both each other, ourselves and our wow. planet. But I think that um, as I hear the way your people describe it, it just, it, it reminds me of that is that we do have a, a duty to, to care for creation, to be good stewards yeah. of it, to, um, to provide it for the generations to come. Um, because I, I'm a really outdoor person. Me I mentioned too. earlier, my husband's hiking in Yosemite <laughs> today. and We just love the outdoors and I, I want it to be available for oh. my kids and my grandkids the way that it is for, for me. We've had a lot of fires in California this year. And so we're certainly aware of it here in the Bay area. In fact, it's a hazy day outside today. And, and it's just, um, it's kind of like in our own lives, you know, some people will talk about in your own personal life, you know, it can be like driving a car. And when you see a light come on on the dashboard, you may not know what it is, but you should take your car in and get service. Um, And I think some of the the flashing lights of haze and fire is, is, you know, reminding us that we should do a better job of stewarding this planet and taking care of the planet. And, um, and it is a very, very spiritual endeavor um, handed from my understanding by God himself to us to do a good job. And so that is beautiful. It's beautiful that you have learned that and that that's a, that's a big part of your culture. Just think there's a lot we could learn from, from you and what you've been taught as well. I'm interested now, and this is, um, you know, a lot of the conversation we're having today, it's hard. And I know that it might bring up difficult things for you because I'm, I'm talking about it as an outsider who didn't experience it with my own people and the way that you did. But I know that a lot of the history that we've told our children here in America, that our kids have read in us history books has not been the complete story um, both for African-Americans that we're learning a lot about this year in the post-George Floyd conversation, mm. but, um, but in particular for Native Americans and the way we talk about the Thanksgiving story mm. and, and all of those things have been quite whitewashed, I would say. And the, the pun is intended mm. there. <laughs> um, but I would, yeah, how, as, you, as you process that, as you think about how history has been whitewashed, I would be interested to know uh, what are some things that we can do to change some of those systems that whitewash the history and the contributions of Native Americans in our society? Um, good question. You know, many things come to mind. Uh, the whitewashing of the indigenous people all the way back from Thanksgiving. It's funny that you mentioned that because when I first started practicing, I knew that I could not celebrate of that anymore, uh, knowing the true history of what happened. And, mm. you know, um, stories that are just all misinterpreted all the way down to a Disney movie of Pocahontas, you know, which actually tells the story of a pedophile um, you know, and, mm. and that kind of kidnapping and stuff like that, where that we glorify in history. Um, yeah. It, it's 
that's a deep subject. Where do you start? I mean, I would start by scrapping all the history books and, and just writing what is. Nobody, nobody's looking for 40 <laughs> acres of mule or, or reparations. Just to write it and, and to teach the children because, mm. again, in hopes that they can avoid committing the same mistakes that we have, right? Um, but uh, yeah. it all comes through truth, you know, through just being honest and looking at these books and saying, hey, okay, enough is enough. Um, and, and I believe that that's true for many immigrants. You know, there was a time when the Irish and the Scottish and, you know, they were all the, the uh, you know, there was always something, you know, it was the new guys, the Italians or, you know, um, uh, and the history has been misconstrued. Of course, it's written by the victors, so they're going to make it sound it was a party in Thanksgiving Day, you know, and everybody sat together and ate a meal. Yeah. But in actuality, the slum. Yeah. Uh, a whole camp of people that actually had saved their lives. Um, but I believe we can honor as con la verdad, with the truth. And that goes yeah. a long way in healing. Yeah. It does. It does. The truth. Amen. Sets us free is what the scriptures um, I read say, and I, I find it, even if the truth is ugly, and, and we raise our kids this way, it's like, maybe you did something wrong, and you're embarrassed, you're ashamed to say it, but um, what does it mean to be an Adams Brown? We always ask our kids, it means to tell the truth, even if it makes you look Correct. bad, because the truth will set you free, and there's nothing that creates a prison in ourselves more than, than yes. lies, and we don't, we may not want to we may want to keep the Thanksgiving story the way that it is because it just mm -hmm. feels nice, but um, only in knowing the truth will, will it truly set us free as a people, as a nation. Um, we have to have the hard conversations. Absolutely. We have to look at hard things if we're going to fix mm -hmm. them. And so I appreciate that you, that you bring that to light. And um, it, it does. I lament the whitewashing of history because I, when I hear the history that you're describing of your people, there's a lot of beauty there. There's a lot of love. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of goodness, and I, I wish we celebrated that more. And I I would love for our kids in this nation to grow up learning about that yes. more. Um, yeah, and I, I would love to know also just for my listeners. I have listeners all around the world that you know some of them may only know about American Native Americans in terms of like cowboys and Indians and what they've seen on movies, which clearly is not a great <laughs> as you've already mentioned representation it's also in the movie. <laughs> what it was like yes. but yeah exactly um but if there was one way people in the u.s in particular could show appreciation to your people what what do you think it would be that's a good question appreciation to the people you know and and i believe all indigenous people again we carry the, the indigenous people of the land the natural people of the land all move with love, with respect, mm -hmm. with truth, with beauty, you know. Um, in our uh, spiritual way, we have but one, one, man, one mandate, excuse me, we have but one mandate, and it's to love and create beauty through uh, compassion of oneself. And that's it. Um, mm. well, it's to move in beauty and to move in love, as, as the people have shown us to be good stewards of each other, to be good stewards of the land. These are all beautiful lessons that our people still teach to this day, you know, but um, I don't know. Hollywood sells movies with the, with the guy with the feathers and you know, with the bow knife and, you know, that sells tickets. Mm. Um, 
But uh, the message is the same, yeah. I believe, for all natural people, and it's just to move in that way, in a good way, in a way of beauty, in a way of light. Yeah. I I know that when I visited certain national parks, you know, they try to often in the national park system, you know, tell us what what land we're on and and that sort of thing. And I I have family on my mom's side mm-hmm. up in Canada, and my mom and I did a trip up there a few years ago to Victoria to um, and Vancouver to visit some of our family there. And when I visited national parks there, I I just was really struck by the fact that they go kind of a, a they go beyond it. They go beyond what I feel like in the U.S. we do in our national parks, which is to um, not only tell you who the people were that used to live there, but they they refer First to it nations, as First yes. Nations, which I really like. Mm-hmm. And then they, when my cousin who lives in Victoria said, you know, in the schools, in the public schools, they, like in the U.S., we, we I guess they do the Pledge of Allegiance. I didn't grow up in U.S. public schools, so I don't really know. But um, in Canada, they will give respect to the First Nations as they start their school day. Um, And I just thought, wow, that's really beautiful. You know, I would love for in the U.S. for us to learn from the Canadians. They they seem to have taken a few steps beyond just letting us know what land we're we're living on. Um, But, yeah, I I don't know. Like, how does that resonate with you? If people could show more appreciation to your people, would it look something like that or would it look different? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I, uh... I love the story. Thank you. I've met a few uh, First Nation brothers and uh, amazing people, but I believe it's a good start. Yes, I believe um, in the stories of the Hopi where they talk about people of all color coming together, the brothers from the east and the north and the south and the west, mm-hmm. and to create a more enlightened people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, we return to the truth. If these things were taught... There would be some sense yeah. of identity. There would be some sense of uh, appreciation. Um, difficult question, Lori. <laughs> I know. Some of these problems mm. aren't easily solved, and they take years. Generations. They take maybe generations. Hopefully not. Hopefully we can solve mm. some things in this generation. That would be my hope and my desire. But, um, but as we listen, sometimes we get good ideas. But it's always good to like listen to the people that would be affected by those ideas and let the ideas come from oh, the people yes. that are most affected, you know, the ones that we need to honor. And so, yeah, I, um, but I, I, I did really think that what the Canadians were doing was a little bit beyond and, and pretty cool. And it, it, it even opened my eyes up to maybe ways I could do a better job of listening, finding out, like when I rent a house here in the Bay Area, I was interested in knowing what land I'm on and, and that kind of thing, things I probably wouldn't have done before I thought about that. And um, yeah, it's just, it's important. I'm just so um, honored that you would, you know, dig into some of these difficult things. I know it's not easy. And I, I also know that the burden's not on you to solve it. The burden's not on your people to solve it. Kind of the burden is on um, those of us who, um, who have been, you know, a part of like power structures that have, you know, maybe we ourselves didn't necessarily create it, but maybe our elders did our ancestors did and so i think the burden is on those of us um who come from that heritage to kind of solve the problem and not expect people who've been traumatized by the decisions to be the ones wow. making the, the changes um so i know it's not easy to talk about but i i do appreciate you you giving your perspective because it is beautiful and as you just said that thing about the hopi people i i just i love it all the people coming together 
for me, you know, I, I have this image of heaven in my head that one day we'll all be gathered together before God's throne, all people yeah. from all tribes and nations and languages. And it, it's so beautiful. I, I think diversity is, is a hunger in my heart because mm-hmm. I long for heaven and I long for that, the beautiful um, equality of that. And when I, when I understand more about God's kingdom, some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible to me in the new Testament are where we have um, Paul, the apostle describing these kind of two different peoples coming together in equality. So he, there's several times where he'll say things like there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, Mm -hmm. that kind of talk. Yeah. And I, I think if he were talking to us today, he would probably say something along the lines of there's neither, I don't know, Republican or Democrat. There's neither man or woman. There's never black or white. There's no native and immigrant or or whatever Mm -hmm. you would use to describe that. We're all one. We're all one before God's throne, the creator God who made us and on purpose made us with these different cultures and different skin colors. And on purpose, we all reflect the image of God because in Genesis one twenty seven. God made a male and he made a female and they were both made in God's image. And there was no hierarchy there and there's no hierarchy in in different tribes. There's no hierarchy in those who are free and those who are slaves. When it comes to the the gospel, as I understand it, and it's really good news to me, is that we're all the same and we all get invited into God's kingdom in that way. And and so when you talk about the Hopi seeing all these people come together, like that sounds mm-hmm. like heaven to me. That sounds awesome. Sounds wonderful. And that's why I love even the Bay area and the diversity that I get to live in here in this urban environment. It feels like a taste of heaven to me. So I love that. I want to dig into that Hopi story because it sounds <laughs> pretty nice. great. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been just an honor to hear about you, your heritage and your, your people i just love to know, is there anything else that you think is important for I, us to know? I want to just uh, take the moment to thank you, Ms. Lurie, um, for what you are doing, uh, for what you are using your platform for, um, and how you're using that privilege, per se, um, to um, help heal the nation, of, um, just further educate us as being humans, you know, and brothers and sisters here. So, um, yeah, I just want to commend you for the work that you're doing and how you're using your platform. Thank you for this opportunity today. Well, the honor is all mine. Thank you for using your your voice and for telling your story, for the way when you tell your story, we, we hear the voices of your elders and your ancestors speaking through you and the way they've invested in you with this deep, rich, beautiful culture that calls us to love and forgive and yes. walk with compassion and walk in such a way on this planet as to where we, we, um, we create harmony and Mm. love for all creation. I just think it's beautiful. Um, what you've taught us today and I'm just, the honor is all mine. So thank you. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. We will hopefully see each other. Be well out there. We're prayers are with you all and fires and all that, uh, Corona stuff. We want to just, uh, you know, extend our prayers out to you and your family and everybody that's listening to you today. Um, be well, be safe, stay healthy. Thank you so much. Nos vemos. Bye-bye. You too, Ricardo. Bye-bye. Nos vemos. Bye. Wow. That was certainly like no interview I've done so far on this podcast. And 
I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling as you're you're processing all that, what you're sensing at this this time. But for me, I just am realizing there's there's a lot I still don't know. There's a lot more deep listening I'm inclined to do now, and there's more curiosity in me to find out how I can be a better friend, a better listener, more of a support to to people like Ricardo and and also how I can be a better mom to train my children and you know just in a spiritual sense the the ministry that God's given me to be just a better listener to indigenous voices around the world there's just so much I learned today so much more I want to know I just uh once again like always in this podcast this isn't just information that we have in our head to give us knowledge But with the knowledge that we now have, there comes a responsibility. So I think for all of us, it's just that chance to figure out what is our next step? What is it that we feel compelled to add? Maybe it's something small. Um, Maybe it's just doing a little research on Google about more stories from the indigenous perspective. I I know there's, there's some great books out there, great resources. If we just open our eyes outside of an echo chamber that teaches us history from primarily one narrative and it's just it's good to dig into the other stories and we have people alive around us today that we can learn from and yeah I I, that's what I come away with today is I want to learn more I want to listen way more deeply and way more often both to the writers who are writing and and people like Ricardo that are 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 willing to speak and, and share and it's such a gift to me today. I, I treasure it. I, um, I want to be responsible with, with what I have. And, and I hope that that's how your posture is today. And if you want to talk about it further with people around you, or if I can be more helpful to talk it through, let's, um, let's have that conversation. Maybe through the Facebook page for A World of Difference or through the Instagram page um, for a world of difference or or however you want to get in contact if there are ways that we can have this discussion either through social media or it's more appropriate for you to have with your loved ones and those around you but I just encourage you to not have this information just sit in your brain and and not take another step with it I just think today it's just such a compelling narrative that we've heard with many many generations that are still working through some of the pain from a long time ago and that's a, that's something we hold as a precious gift and so I um, I'm going to be very prayerful about that for all of us from mainly myself and um, and I hope that you will uh, pray along with me if you're a praying person and um, regardless that we will all just decide what our plan is for our next step based on this knowledge that we have Come back next week for on our immigration series, our interview with Arturo Jimenez. He is an, a federal immigration lawyer in Colorado. He has lots of experience um, with thousands of individuals in Colorado and other states working with them in immigration processes from spouse petitions, family immigration, naturalization, DACA cases, visas for victims, and deportation defense and immigration court. He's written a book called Dreamer's Nightmare, the U.S. War on Immigrant Latinx Children, and he served on the Denver Public Schools Board of Education for a while. He's just going to be a wealth of information for us next week, so please tune in for that to hear Arturo Jimenez, Jimenez, and have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.